Welcome to uh, our podcast series, Conversations with Sound Artists. This is Glenn Kaiser. I'm the director of the Dolby Institute. And this podcast is a co-production of the Dolby Institute and the Soundworks Collection. And I'm really thrilled to be back at Skywalker Ranch once again to sit down and talk with one of my friends, Gwendolyn Whittle, or as we know her, Gwen. Uh, Gwen is a two-time Academy Award nominee for uh, the movies Tron and Avatar. Uh, so she's really uh, just a crazy luminary in our business. She is uh, one of the one of the top uh, supervising uh, sound editors working today. And I, my first question to you, Gwen. Well, first of all, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be here, and it's nice to see. It feels very normal to have you here. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, you've had just an unbelievable spring and summer. Yes. You supervised, uh, you did the, the sound supervision on both Tomorrowland and Jurassic World. Yes. So, first of all, thank you for uh, for checking out of the hospital to come back <laughs> to talk to us. But how do you supervise two huge movies like that that are happening at the same time, basically? You have a really great crew. And they weren't supposed to be on top of each other, but schedules are slippery and they moved. So when one moves a lot, you say to the that show, like, well, you're moving a lot, and you're moving on top of this other show, so I will do the best I can, but I will always have a backup for myself, but I will have to, to dance around these two shows. And they went, okay. So then I told the other show, this first show is moving on, and I'll All do right. the best I can, and I only missed one ADR session. Oh, good for but you. But Stuart McCowan covered it for me, so that was fine. So I always had a backup, and the mixes weren't on top of each other, so that helped. So I'll get back into that, in a, but I'm just curious about something you just said. So as supervising sound editor, you still cover the ADR sessions yourself? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the fun part. You have to <laughs> have, yeah, have some fun in life, right? <laughs> because you like to hang out on the stage with the directors and the actors? I like people. Oh. I like people. I like rather talk to people than sit in front of my computer like a little drone. I mean, well, sometimes the computer's a relief, but uh, it's nice to watch the directors and the actors interact. It's nice to... Um, it's nice to talk to people. Yeah. I guess that was my problem. I just never really liked people you know, very like much. People. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think I've ever told you this story, but one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you today and 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 one of the reasons why I was really eager to do, um, you know, we're doing this podcast series, Conversations with Sound Artists, about different aspects of sound and sound editing and sound design for uh, movies and television and whatnot. Um, but uh, I don't think anybody really pays attention to dialogue editing. Um, and I, I, like I said, I don't think I've ever told you this story, but when I got hired to run Skywalker Sound way back in the day, um, I had actually, I'd gotten the job, but I hadn't started yet. So it was sort of in that window period. Uh, and I was up in San Francisco trying to find a place to live. <laughs> and, uh, and my phone rang and it was George Lucas's office. Uh, and they said, uh, George would like to, to meet you. Uh, can you come up to the ranch today to have lunch? Uh, with with George, and uh, of course I was like, uh, sure. I'll be there. Sure, of course. So I, I came up, and I, I remember it very clearly because weirdly it was the opening day for episode one. Oh, so it was May of nineteen ninety nine or right, whatever. Right. And I remember kind of you know teasing him a little bit. I mean, to the extent that you ever teased George, right, right. you know, like wow, you actually you know you showed up to work today, you know, on opening <laughs> day of your movie. It's that's that's pretty impressive. But I, I sat down. It was me and Gloria Borders, who mm -hmm. was uh, the previous general manager, and, and she was leaving. And uh, so it was you know the two of us sat down with with George and had this lunch, and it was fast. I mean, it went on for like two hours. Wow. 
just this really interesting conversation with George talking about his vision for the future of filmmaking and his plans for the company. But one of the things that I really uh, remember very clearly about that lunch was he talked for, I, I want to say, like 20 or 30 minutes about dialogue editing. K. Rose. K. Rose, right. exactly. And how important dialogue editing really? was to wow. the craft of sound for film huh. and how nobody pays attention to it. It was. Huh. I, I remember him very clearly saying, you know, dialogue editing is not sexy, so nobody talks about it. That's but true. it's the most important part of the process. And he was went on and on about, like, wow. it's important to educate people, That's you true. know, and, and train dialogue editors. And to that extent, like, you know, the next year, he endowed the K. Rose uh, professorship at, at USC. Oh, that's cool. So he really, you know, in that sense, right. he kind of put his money where his mouth was. Mm -hmm. But, and I have to admit, I was a little embarrassed because, you know, even at that point, I'd, I had a pretty successful career in feature film post-production. I didn't really know what dialogue editing was. You didn't. You know? I, well, exactly. So I had, so, so uh, I, I wanted to, first of all, thank you because you taught me sort of what, what the, the craft is and what makes a good dialogue editor. Uh, but for, you know, our audience, maybe who isn't quite so familiar uh, with that part of the process, what is dialogue editing and what does a dialogue editor do? Dialogue editing, if it's done really well, you don't notice it. It should be completely invisible. It should not take you out of the movie. You should pay no attention to it. Um, you take all the sound from the set and everything's shot out of order. So they would do your close-up and then three weeks later they would do my close-up. And while they were shooting your close-up, it's a corset movie, so everyone's in a corset, and you know, it's there's no airplanes in corset days. So while they're shooting your take, an airplane was going over, and maybe there was a truck going beep 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 behind my take. So it's kind of thing where you would take the different backgrounds from those different takes because air changes and what's going on in the background changes all the time, and you make them smooth so you don't notice any transition, and then. The backup beeps under my take, I would look for alternate takes from other, other like, say it's 53K take five. You'd listen to takes one through four. You'd listen to other takes that cover that shot to get rid of, find the exact same words with the exact same performance to get rid of the beeps. If you can't find an alt, you go to the ADR stage. Mm -hmm. Your take was so great. Your hair was great. The lighting was perfect. The acting was great. But you never did that performance again. So then you go to the, the ADR stage and you have to try and recreate it. And so then when you put the ADR in, because it's in a very um, dead studio with no air, no nothing, you have to fill in the air behind it. So dialogue is really about keeping track of the air. It's all about you're the, you're the, you're the, the keeper of the, yeah, we're the air stewards. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a great way of putting that's it. That's how we do it. And I, I, I'm remiss because I didn't do this before, but we should absolutely listen to what you have to say about this discipline. This is a, a, just a partial list of movies that you've worked on. Okay. Oh, boy. According to your IMDb page, you've worked on over 120 <laughs> oh, films. Oh, God. I'm not, I, okay, I'm a little bit old. But <laughs> You're experienced. Okay, there you go. I'm very experienced. That's right. You, you cut dialogue and ADR on Terminator 2. I did. Panic Room, Minority Report, Iron Man, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. Gone Girl, uh, and my personal favorite, Catwoman. <laughs> <laughs> Catwoman was, was uh, you know what, it could have been really, it could have been a campy, wonderful thing, and, and, and they, they, I don't know, it was an interesting little film. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Describe to me the process of cutting dialogue. Like, what's you know, how how does the material come to you? What do you do? What's the and what are the the, the challenges that you typically face? So it kind of really depends a lot on the picture department. Right now, I mean, back in the in the mag days, it was much back in the old Jurassic days of film and mag. It was much. Isn't easier. it hilarious? You just yeah, referred to Jurassic as the old days. I know, I know. That's really funny. Well, that was yeah, a couple months ago. Right. <laughs> um, I presume right. you're talking about Jurassic Park in '93. Yes, yes, a long yes. time ago. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so we get all the production from the from the picture department, everything that was shot on the set, and then the assistants do. I, I, they do this magic where they, they take this track that is uh, usually the picture editor cuts with a mix track, which all the all the different mics that they use on the set mix down to one, and then the assistants take that and they spread it apart so that each mic has its own track. So what? So I'm gonna because I'm, I want to I'm gonna stop you right, right there because I want to clarify. So um, so on the set, right. um, the production sound mixer is recording anywhere from one microphone to. to up to eight usually, sometimes more, but each actor will normally have a lav mic. If they're really wonderful, and we hope they are wonderful, there's at least one or two booms because boom mics sound so much nicer than lavs. Um, so you would so you would prefer to use uh, the input from a boom mic than from a if than it's from a, if it's on mic enough and there's not there's not a ton of extra sort of background noise. But obviously, if it's you know if it's a, a long distance shot. With, you're not going to have a boom in that. Right. So then you have to right. use probably a radio oh, mic. Right, which is, the, which is the same as the loft, yeah. yeah. So you get all those mics split out, and it's all in sync, and it matches the cuts that the picture editor did. And then you start... Well, but so but, but even before we get to that, okay. so so the production sound mixer's got these eight, maybe right. up to eight microphones, or maybe even more. Right. So he or she will do uh, actually a mix on the set, right? right? So they'll mix those eight tracks, or right. however many, down to usually to one, right. to a right. mono. And a that's mono. what the picture, edit, picture editor works with. Will cut to. Right. So usually they usually work on an Avid. I don't know if Final Cut Pro, but Avid, you can have 24 tracks, I think. So they usually have one track of their production, and then they fill in their effects and, and their music and all that kind of stuff. And it all has to fit into 24 tracks. Right. So if you use all the split out mics, you're using up all your track space with all. with the production mics. So that's why they just use the one. And how often is it, I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, production sound mixing is an art yes. unto itself. Yeah. Um, how often is it the case that you can pretty, that you can kind of just, that that sounds great and you can kind of just use the, that, the, the mixer's production track or and and then how often i mean i don't want to say it's right. uh, you know it's all the time because then you would be out of a job right well you still have to get rid of the lip smacks but um <laughs> you know it really depends how often depends on the conditions if they were on, kind of, on you stage you know it depends on you know if you're in a big special effects movie and there's fans going all the time where they're using an IMAX camera, then the production mixers kind of is what it is what it is. So yeah. you're sort of kind of stuck there. Um, really good production mixers, sometimes you do. You use the mix mic because it sounds great. Mm -hmm. But, it, you know, they're really tied to, they have a hard job. They sure so do. So I really applaud anyone who makes any reasonable sound come out, you know, that gets turned over at all. Um, How difficult is it? Because then you, typically by the time the movie gets to you, the director and the editor have been working on the movie, editing it for months and months right. and months. They're really used to yes, that they production the guide track, track. Yeah, yeah. right? That guide right. track. Um, how, how difficult is it to then introduce new elements? Well, usually when we clean it up, when we, when we go down to individual mics, all of a sudden it's so much cleaner and pretty like, oh, that sounds so much better. 
Oh, I like it so much more. Oh, where did all that noise is gone? Sometimes I'm like, oh, where's the noise? Uh-uh, uh, let's go back. So it kind of depends on the director, depends on the person. Some people love mono, you know, they just want their guide track and nothing else. Some people are like, oh, please get rid of that. Oh, thank God that background's gone, that kind of thing. Right. So it depends. Each director is different. They all have personalities. Each mixer is different. Each mixer, you know, we, we try and try and cut to the mixer's taste as really? much as, oh, oh yeah, totally. Tom so Johnson you, likes it one way, Laura likes it one way. So you know who you're, typically you will know who's going to mix the dialogue usually when you're editing. Right. And so, and that, that changes, I had no idea that that changed your approach. Yeah. Well, we, we asked them too, how do you want it? Hmm. And if they say, well, I'd like it this way, like all my air split off, I'd be able to keep it all together. I mean. And now, do you change it in terms of track layout or would you actually cut in a different way? Track layout. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, cutting is kind of cutting. Well, no, yeah, it's cutting. So the production tracks come in and and you split out everything so that you're hearing the feeds from each individual microphone. And then I presume there's a, a big part of that, first part of that job is listening. Yes. And you listen through to each, you know, each mic and decide, okay, this one's better, this one's better. Maybe you can't decide. You have the boom and the lav. Then you cut both, you mute one, and then the, because if you're in the mix, sometimes the mixer will say, well, you know, this sounds kind of thin. You have a boom for that. Boop. You got it. Kind of thing. So you cut, I mean, you try and thin it out as much as possible. You don't want to cut everything. Uh, while you're going through, so you, you you sort of organize your takes, you organize which tracks you want to use, and at the same time I spot the ADR, for instance, if you can't find, or there's just, uh, you can't find an alt for the backup beeps behind the thing, or there's just a scene that's got crazy wind machines on it, or, you know, there's some sort of harness creak because it's a special effects thing and you know you gotta got to do that, so you spot the ADR then, and... Um, well, you, so do you... What's your approach to spotting ADR? Do you kind of overspot? I mean, do you sort of like, do you, do you initially sort of try to get, grab anything that might be problematic, or are you are you making some decisions as you go through? Like, I can probably get away with this. If I if there's something like a backup beat behind someone's voice, I try to find that alt right away. It's like, oh, I I can fix that. Unless there's a terrible time crunch and an actor has to come in, like we need him tomorrow, then I'll just I'll just spot and probably overspot because I don't have time to look for stuff. In a perfect world. This would never happen in 100 years, but if you could pre-mix before you shot the ADR, your mm -hmm. ADR line kind of go way down. A lot of it is kind of covering your, your butt. Well, you say that, but I remember a really interesting example on a movie that you did, Tron. Yes. Which was, um, and this was this happened when I was, when I was uh, running Skywalker, and they got about, I want to say, a day or two into production. I th I, as I remember, they were shooting up in Canada. They got a day or two into production. I got a frantic phone call from the producer. And he said, <laughs> we just realized that these suits, the oh, the, right. the LED yeah, yeah, lights on right. the suits have a hum. Right. And I said, oh, what do you mean? Like you're getting like radio interference? Like, you know, no, they when had, you... they sang. When you, when you, you know, like... You, you know, when you're listening back to the right. dailies, you can you can hear you can hear a hum, and he's like, "No, no, no!" We're like standing next to them on the set, right. they're they're singing these lights, and they would change depending on how close they were to one another. It wasn't, yeah, yeah. and it wasn't, you know, and every time it wasn't a constant steady tone. Anytime somebody would move, you'd get a Doppler shift, right? In and the, it would change tones. I I forgot about that. And so he called me up and said, "So we can save this in post, right?" <laughs> and you know what? We did. And so in that sense, I remember very clearly I called you up, you know, I called you in because we knew that you were going to be working right. on the movie. And we had them send down 
some tracks from the first couple of days, and we went on to, I want to say we went with Michael Semanic into one of the stages here. Right. Uh, and we tested and we, it. Right? And we tested it. And we decided that, you know, we could probably... We actually hired somebody who used this process. We used, hired Marie Ebbing to do... Um, What's the name of that thing? She's she, she said she was massively pregnant. She sat with headphones on. She um, I can't remember what she used, but she basically surgically followed the track of that sound and 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 got it out. And she did it by hand. Yeah. Unbelievable. So I but in in that sense, I remember that that was a really specific sort of That's thing true. where, and we would get those calls occasionally right. that that a, that a producer would say, "We've got this really specific issue. Can you take a listen to this before, right. you know, even before we finish shooting? Do you think we can save this?" Or so or we have done that. To... It's true, but it's rare to do it for a whole movie. Yeah. But there was also a scene in Tron where they're coming. Um, the two the two Jeff Bridges are coming at each other. Wind machines everywhere. There knew that there was no hope, so we knew that we went in and um, we just went in eighty yard that scene. Another scene that there was no hope for was actually another Joe Kaczynski film was Oblivion. The scene by the um, by the Empire State Building. They shot it in Iceland and they happened to shoot it in the one time of the year in Iceland where it's black fly season and the black flies covered everything. They covered the camera. They went in people's eyes and ears. I mean they were so they had to have these fans going. To blow to, the flies Otherwise out. they could they, the camera wouldn't work. So we did that. We ADR that scene very very early on because there was no way to use it because... Well, so you tend to work on, you know, what, I know that you also work on independent films as well as, you know, big budget Hollywood studio blockbusters. I mean, obviously the the, the action movies that you work on, you're, you're expecting that you're going to have a certain amount of ADR because there's going to be wind machines, there's going right. to be effects things on right. set that have to be, you know, they're right. just going to obliterate the dialogue. Um, but I, one of the things that was really intriguing to me about coming to Skywalker was I remember having a conversation with Laura Hirschberg at one point. She said, you know, the, the dirty little secret of these big, huge, complicated comic book and action movies is, you know, from a dialogue perspective, sometimes those are the easiest because, you know. Large stretches of nothing. Well, or, right. you know, you can, you can, you know, you've got, you've got big sound effects and you can cover stuff up. But, um, you know, she, she pointed out to me that, uh. Uh, if it's a uh, a little you know low budget independent dialogue walkie talkie movie, that that's They're often a lot harder. Hardest. They're a lot hard because you don't have the latitude for all that ADR to fix it. You have to fix it um, in your tracks, and usually there's a lot more talking. Sometimes it's because their low budgets or their situations are they, they just don't have as much. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's not true because they don't have as much money. They they their sets and stuff are more contained. But maybe that's, I don't know. Well, but they also they're also having to shoot a lot faster. Right. They often don't have the best conditions for capturing sound. Right. Um, but they're also more fun. They're more of a challenge. I actually, kind of, I really love low budget films. <laughs> why is that? Because they usually talk more in them, <laughs> which is true. Um, everybody hates ADR. That's not true. That, well, that that's is, a gen- that, so. That this is, is why I wanted to ask a question. There's a general rule that, like you talked. To mo- I mean, I've never talked to a director who has said. Oh, I like going to the David ADR stage. Fincher loves ADR. Well, there you go. David Fincher loves ADR. That's that's the soundbite. Okay, from maybe this maybe he doesn't love ADR, but he's not afraid of it. Jim Cameron is not afraid of it. ADR is a tool like anything else. It's like it's like having a camera. It's like having a dolly. It's like a, ADR is a really really powerful tool, and if you're not afraid to use it, it can really 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 help your. It can and it can elevate your film because it takes away the things that are distracting you from what's going on. So let's talk about this. So so you know. 
I think most people, maybe who don't know any better, right. are, are automatically think that ADR is something to be avoided and it's a total, total evil. So, what are the possible, what are the positive things that can come out of ADR? Meryl Streep would say, "Who loves ADR? It's another. Really? She are you serious? Loves ADR because it's another chance at her performance. So she's not afraid to go in and try and put a different color on it. She's. It's another. I mean, you got the performance once on the set, one couple times. You know, all these takes. It's just another crack at it. It's another way of approaching it. Um, you can you can fix a lot of things. You can you can change lines. You can add a different twist to something. You can." You can you can really change even by adding a breath to something. You can change mm -hmm. a performance. You know, people sort of underestimate the value of breathing. I mean, dialogue editing is much about taking care of the breath as it is about the air. Because uh, you can you can have a sad. <gasps> you know, and they're both exhales, right? But one's right. really happy, one's really sad. So you can you can add that sort of stuff in. Um, loop group is that's sort of the bane of a lot of people's existence too but if you don't have it you really miss it same mm -hmm. thing with with foley if you don't if you don't hear the sound of the foley yeah loop group is like word foley right kind of thing it it the the presence of it just builds to a believable atmosphere right, right. so does david fincher do as many adr takes as he does picture takes during the shoot yes he does <laughs> He does indeed. He's he's not afraid to go and go and go and go and go until he gets till he hears what he wants. And he will frequently take a word from take nineteen and a syllable from take fifty three and a syllable from take one hundred five and put it together. And there's his performance. And he can remember that. Well, I mean, it helps that we take notes. <laughs> but yeah. So yeah. tell me about. So okay, tell me a little bit about what the how does the ADR stage work and what are you doing there. It's different with every director. A lot of directors don't show up if it's just for technical reasons and they want to just get the exact same performance. They trust you to sort of get help the actor, actor get back to where they needed to go. And you listen to the guide track. You listen to the new performance. You go back and forth. You get as close as you can. Now, I'm going I'm to pause you for okay. a second there because there and, – and, you know, this is for public consumption, mm -hmm. so no names, of course. But we have both worked with a couple of very prominent directors who just refuse to show up on the ADR stage much to the anger of their actors. Right. If, if, um, if... And is that because they just feel like you're going in there to correct technical issues? Right. This is not about performance, so I don't need to be there. Right, which is usually, if they're not there, that's what I say to the actors. I say, you know, they're really sorry they can't be here. They, they, they love your performance. This is what we want to get back to is just it's got this backup beat behind it. And you're in a corset movie and there's no backup beat. I mean, that kind of, sorry to keep using the same thing over and over, but it's kind of really easy way to make it make sense. Yeah. Um, and you just go, you, you keep going with it. You, you know, sometimes I'd never do as many takes as David Fincher does, but I, you know, I'll, I'll keep going until they, they sound, you know, you can't hear the difference other than the lack of background kind of thing. Um, if the director is there, obviously they, they run the show and I just take notes about sync and I let them do performance stuff. If they're not there, it's my job to help them get back to where they were. So, so and that so you're helping the actors? I hope so. <laughs> I, I hope I'm helping them instead of how do you so it, it's an interesting kind of what like how how do you how do you direct Brad Pitt or Tom Hanks on the ADR stage? Well, usually I mean it depends. <laughs> 
Because you've, you've worked with both of them, right? Yes. Yeah. I haven't worked with Tom Hanks. Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt's wonderful. You just want to go have a beer with him, have him meet your mom. And he's, he's just a, <laughs> he's a great guy. He really is. Um, Are some actors better at ADR than others? Yes. People who are musicians. I want to ask you who's the worst, but no. who's the best? Matt Damon is a freak of nature with it. Tom Cruise is really, 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 really good. Really? Matt Streep is really good. Usually if they have a, mu- a musical ear, they can hear the rhythm and the tone of their voice. If they can hear themselves, it really helps. If they can't hear themselves, it's going to be a long day. You know, what do you mean if they can't hear themselves? If they can't hear the musicality in their in their line, if they can't hear, for instance, if they say the words, I love you, they can't hear the, I love you. They can, I, I love you. It's like they can't hear their original performance. They think they can't hear it back. And that's that's a combination of breath and sound and everything that's happening in the vocal cavity. And yeah, all it's, there's a musicality to, musicality to everything you say. Even you interviewing me, you have a particular cadence. You have a particular uh, timbre in your voice. Um, annoying as it is. No, it's lovely. It's very soothing. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's probably more annoying because it's, anyway, but. Um, so they have to be able to hear themselves, and that's people who can hear themselves are they're you're going to be fine. That's great. My my um, my experience has been musicians and comedians are really good at it. Comedians are sometimes really bad at it because really? they never do the same performance twice. Oh, see, I was my my experience had been they really understand timing. Timing, but it's, but they so they can get the sync, but the performance is always different. That's my experience with comics. Musicians really, really, really good because they hear the musicality and the rhythm. Right. I mean, but but everyone's different too. How important is how important is it on the ADR st- stage for them to nail the sync to get it to get it, you know, it right to... right in as as it was. Originally. I mean, every every editor sort of knows what they can fix and what they can't fix so you can, there is some wiggle room to it if the line has a lot of s's and f's and th- <laughs> bravo they're easier to cut if it's got a lot of hard mm. plosive b's t's things that really have to hit hard that are hard or vowels those are much harder to cut so if it's a lot of s i love s's and f's they're my favorite letters because <laughs> you can shorten and lengthen them so much I think that's going to be the soundbite for this interview. <laughs> I love S's and F's. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They're the most versatile letters. So. so you're cutting on the stage when you're recording at your No. No, no, no. Yeah, um, no. Sometimes the um, recordist, if there's a recordist on the stage, or a lot of times now, a lot of the mixers, if there's no recordist, they, they're pretty good. It's all Pro Tools are pretty good at at least getting it close. Um but I, 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 so when the actor says the line, I'm listening to the guide track in one ear and the other through a headphone. Oh my God, that would make me crazy. No, no, you have to. That's how you call things. So you look at it on screen, you listen to the original performance. It's also how you can tell if it's close to me. And then you hear, you have one ear free, so you hear them. They say the line, you're like, oh, okay, I, can, I, 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 I think it's close so enough that I can. So you got a pair of headphones and you're just listening, you have one can on one yeah, ear and yeah. then you're listening to them. You're in the room with them. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Do you kind of, have you had to train your brain to do that? Is that? Wait, I, it's, um, I, I don't. Just come second I nature just, now. I don't know. I can't. Some actors, particularly Australian actors, they like to do this thing where they hear the line and then they repeat it three times. And that's really hard for me because I can't tell if it's in sync. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. So then that the mixer, the um, ADR mixer or the recordist will have to then line it up. Meaning they don't do it to picture. Right. So they hear the line. Glenn, you're great. Glenn, you're great. Glenn, you're great. Glenn, you're great. And then they'll they'll take one of those takes. Interesting. But that's always harder for me. But it's not about me. It's about the actor. Whatever makes the actor 
happy. So, so they're comfortable. I'm comfortable. How do you? So how do you? Uh, I can imagine that that the. Um, you know, ADR must be especially tough for young actors uh, and for, for some kids. Are crazy good at it. Okay, well, I don't know anything then. Kids, some kids, some I mean, they're like adults. Some kids are just preternaturally, they hear it. The little girl, she's not a little girl anymore, but the young teen in Tomorrowland, mm-hmm. fantastic. Huh. She heard herself. She could do different colors to different performances. She was great. How often do you end up changing performance in ADR? That's up to the director. Right. I mean, I try. If it's just me, I try not to. I try and make it so that no one notices. So they're never tweaked on the state and the mixed state. Like, oh, is that ADR? Like, oh, that's different. I try and make it so that it sits right in. But if the director wants to change, obviously, that's their things. They happens at least once or twice every film. I would think they want to change a little something. Hmm. I think. I notice I'm getting very essy myself after talking about those houses. <laughs> Uh, there's nothing like talking about dialogue in ADR that will make you paranoid about that. Right. <laughs> the other Cheryl Nardi is actually the queen of the um, of the dialogue cheat. It's yeah. the kind of thing where you can, I mean, even if it's something as small as you can take, uh, two people are talking and a line gets overlapped, but in the cut they they get pulled apart, so the end of the word, the end of my S's and F's, they get or their T's, they get they get dropped. You can take a T from another word and put it on, and no one will notice. Also, instead of saying, mm. I. It's sometimes, like, if the word is, I hate you, I hate you. Mm-hmm. So someone's over like, yeah, I hate you. So you can take the t from something else and make it, I hate you. And you can steal from all sorts of, in a little bit, it's kind of like changing dimensions because you can take, you can take something that was recorded all in, all in one, one thing and you can take a T or an S or a breath or air from those recorded, you know, hours, days, months afterwards, and you can move it before where it's you can move it to a place from earlier you can change dimensions with time with because you're moving all these recordings around it's actually kind of it's like that's like weird dialogue relativity <laughs> <laughs> when i was tired of making air loops for adr i'd think about that so oh, i'm just changing dimensions here <laughs> what is an air loop for adr so when you sh- when you take a you have a production scene and you're standing in a field and there's birds and cows mooing and wind going and it's beautiful and everything, but the plane shows up and you mm-hmm. have, can't have the plane. So you take that, that line out. So maybe it, it might just be one line that you need to replace, not the whole scene. Right. Or even a word or something like that. You, sometimes you, you use as little as you can. You try and keep as much of the original production. If you take it out, the birds and the cows and the wind all disappear. Also disappear, So you right. have to make fill. We call it fill. It's um, the air again, keeper of the air to keep make it seem like everything's in the same place at the same time. So you make a loop because sometimes it's always very short. So it just keeps repeating itself, and you make a little little patch for where you took the line out. And then the ADR sits right in perfectly. It's like it never happened. There was no airplane. Your performance is great. It's beautiful. <laughs> Director doesn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best That's part. Right. right. Do you get involved in, um, you know, in miking? I can imagine, and that's a huge challenge with ADR to 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 try to match because obviously, you know, on an ADR stage, you have you have access to beautiful, right. rich, pristine, you know, right. microphones that they don't actually shoot with on a set. Right. It's actually kind of funny when we were working on Munich, we went to um, Tel Aviv. To a lot of the actors were Israeli, so they sent us to Tel Aviv, and in Tel Aviv, they do a lot of foreign versions. So they take the English version, they make it Hebrew or whatever it is, and all it's all re-recorded with beautiful mics and everything. And the guy who was, we were working with said, why are you using these mics? I can give you this beautiful recording. And I explained this, and well, if you all of a sudden 
have a production, production, production with kind of a, you know, funky radio mic. And all of a sudden it's a beautiful mic. You're going to know it's going to stick out. It's like, whoa, where'd they come from? So <clears throat> you have to be try always to match the mics that they use in production, the same kind of radio mic, the same kind of booms. So you actually will find out from the production oh, yeah. sure what the yeah, yeah, yeah. What Absolutely. The, the kind of microphone that they yeah. use. Yeah, and what they, which ones they use for what situation. How far away they were. Right, yeah. right, right. And I'll usually record at least three mics, two booms, and a lav. So that if they... What, on, on an ADR stage? Always. Two booms and a lav? Right. So they always have the lav on so in case... Because I'm not... I, I don't always know what we're going to end up using in the mix. Right. So one... Boom what, mics on a stand? Or do you actually... No, no, will well, you ever have a boom operator on an ADR stage? If you have the budget to do that, it's really nice. But I normally don't. Well, that was a, that was a trick that... Uh, I don't know. Andy Monsheen, who's a, a right. well-known picture editor. Right. Uh, very early on in my career, I worked with him. And, and um, that was his... You know, he felt like that was his secret to getting good performances in ADR, was to not tie the actor down to you know a stationary microphone and a music right. stand where the script is. Right. You know, hire a boom operator, have them on. If you can do that, that's great. Yeah. I mean, another thing um, that's, that works really well and it looks ridiculous, but if you tape the the lob to their to like a sweatband on their head. It be, keeps it from getting clothing-wise, and they can move. They can move really freely. So oh. even if the if the booms don't get it, you'll always get it here, kind of like on a set. I want to see a picture of Meryl Streep with, wearing with, a sweatband. With sweat it's like very '80s tennis. <laughs> <clears throat> what did you work with Meryl Streep on? She was in Lion, uh, Lions for Lambs. Lions for Lambs. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so I can imagine <clears throat> that dialogue editing for an animated film is completely different. Mm-hmm. Everything's beautiful. <laughs> right, because it's all pristine it's all recorded ADR, on a right, stage. Right, It's kind of like doing a foreign version of, in English. The movie's 100% like, ADR in that sense. Right, so it's beautiful. So that's really more about, that truly is all about performance and, and breathing and keeping them alive and, um, yeah, and taking care of lip smacks. And <laughs> I remember, you know, one of, the, one of the first pictures that I worked with you on as a supervisor was the Simpsons movie. And we we thought that Pixar we thought that Pixar made a lot of changes to their movies. We we had never experienced anything. That was insane. They but those guys came from a television background where they were used to so changing everything. Fast. That I, I had we had never experienced anything like that before. So, they did temps every three weeks on two stages. It was crazy. It right. Was insane. So you were at, so in that sense you were actually doing a lot of ADR on an animated film because they were making so many changes right. to animation that was already. Right. You know, you, they couldn't go back to, you know, where would they do their animation and reanimate it. Right. So, but actually they did. That animation so simple compared to like a Pixar show. It's right. so simple. They could change it on a dime. Right. So, because, you know, it's, it's not, not, it's line drawings, you know, pretty line drawings, but it's not like Ratatouille. Right. With, with all sorts of depth to it and everything. It's a much more simpler thing. So, yeah, they changed like the wind, the jokes. I mean, they just kept rewriting. If a joke didn't land, it was out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, very quickly, and it was it was kind of fascinating, but that that was an intense show because the changes happened so fast. Yeah, what are you working on now? I'm working on the Peanuts movie. Oh, how beautiful fun. animation! So, I got to go up in Charles Schultz's son's biplane. I had the recorder strapped to my leg so it wouldn't fall out, and he did loops and he did spins. It was fantastic. So for what this was to get we're recording uh, the biplane because there's the biplane biplanes in the movie. The sop with camel and all that. The sop stuff. with camel, right? And all the effects guys were really mad because I got to go up in the plane and they didn't. That was really fun. Well, so you you just, you just grabbed that job for yourself? I actually did. <laughs> I said I'm going to go that day. I'm I'm going to go do this with you. 
So are you? So what's the balance? Are you mostly supervising now, or do you, will you also do some? I, I do. I do anything. <laughs> Um, I, I love ADR. I love dialogue. I like doing both. I like supervising. I'll, I'll do. If you have a job you want me to do, I'll do it. <laughs> and you love working with Spielberg and I with do. David Fincher. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Brad Bird is great to work with. Um, Joe Kaczynski is great to work with. Um, Blue Sky people, wonderful, yeah. wonderful, Such wonderful nice people. people. Yeah, really yeah. great. I've been really lucky. Cameron's, you know, he's always been really nice to me. I mean, he's kind of a genius. All right, so let's just talk about that. What's it like working with Jim Cameron, and how how does how does he uh, um, how does he run an ADR stage? He's not always there. He's he's actually pretty sane on an ADR stage. I mean, he really likes his actors. The actors really like him. They're really respectful to one another. So he's uh, he understands why you're doing it for technical reasons. For instance, on Avatar. The whole set was plywood. Right. They're running around in plywood. Pandora's not made of plywood. So, you know, you sort of have to choose whether you're boom, 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 boom under the line or you want him to walk on soft, squishy moss kind right. of thing. So he also understands there's a scene where Jake's being chased by the, uh, of course, I'm going to forget the name of the creature, the the, the, the the bad black wolf things. That's terrible and I can't remember their names. I don't remember it either. The big black wolf things. Sure. The dire, the dire wolves. No, that's a dire horse. The um, oh, don't let him listen to this. He's gonna fire me. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Anyway, he's being chased by by this creature through the woods. The music's going. The you know the effects are going. You know he's running by the bushes and everything, and the foley's going. And he kept saying, "I'm losing track of my character. We have to hear him breathing. We have to keep. You have to make sure you keep track of your character. You don't have to hear every breath, but you have to know where your character is. You have to follow their path." Interesting. And I, was, and he, I, I learned so much from that. I was like, "That's absolutely right." Because if, if it's all the music, then you lose track of why you're even watching the shot. Right. Yeah, I remember that for the first time I saw the you know the layer demo for Saving Private Ryan. For that open, there was there you know the first layer of the demo right. was Tom Hanks breathing, and it's huge. Yeah, because it keeps you with him, it makes you follow him. Uh, I think breathing has to be mixed properly. Sure, there, uh, I shouldn't name names. There are a couple I didn't work on them, but uh, and, I, and I'm a big fan of breathing in movies and stuff. But there's if it's too prominent, it's it's weird. Pulls you out. Right. So yeah, uh, and Mission Impossible, the whole scene where. Um, Tom Cruise is running through the dust storm. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he bakes, he borrowed my scarf and he just did the whole thing. <laughs> and you don't hear everything, but again, you keep track of where he is in that whole thing. Did you ever wash that scarf again? I gave it back to my daughter. It was her scarf, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and she cherishes she that did. scarf now. <laughs> um, has the, uh, you, you've been cutting dialogue for a long, long time. time. Uh, and obviously from, you know, pre-digital right. through the transition. How has the, how has the craft let me ask you this. I think you know it's pretty obvious to understand how the craft has changed because the tools have changed. But has the art of dialogue editing changed? Has the has the aesthetic changed over the course of your career? The aesthetic has not, but the ability to do a better job has. I mean, there's certain things I miss about Mag. You had time to think between rewinds. My arms were in much better shape, and <laughs> well, they're not too bad now. But um, the the fact that you can get sub perf and you can really kind of the tools are much finer yeah which is kind of nice it's kind of like using a, a coarse sieve versus a fine sieve kind of sure. thing but the the end result is still the same you still want things to be smooth you want things to not pull you out of the film if a person has a huge lip smack in the middle of the line that's going to go oh 
well, what was that? You want to take it out. Um, you want to add the breathing when you see them huffing and puffing and there's not, the production didn't pick it up or it's just it's too much you know, else going on. You want to make sure that you make your characters believable with what production you're given. And then you, if you don't have it, you spice it up with ADR or loop group. Right. So, I mean, basically, dialogue is the queen of the track. If you don't understand the dialogue or you can't follow the story, why are you telling it? Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure that that sits prominently in your track, and you want it to be pretty. Because you know, music music is huge, obviously, and effects, you know, impossible without it. But if you don't hear the dialogue, you don't have a story. So I, I think I think a lot of people, you know, especially, you know. Younger independent filmmakers, first timers, or even people outside the industry, sort of think, okay, well, you know, the three the three elements to my soundtrack are my production track, and then I take my production track and I layer some sound effects in it and some put some music in that, and bam, that's what we do. So you, you've talked really eloquently about the process of sound editorial, but then there's also the, the I mean the, the the dialogue editorial, but there's also the dialogue mix. So. You prepped all your tracks, then you come onto a mixing stage and you work with a dialogue mixer. And what happens during that part of the process? A lot of, I mean, I actually really love working with a mixer because it's a person who gives a whole different set of ears to something that you've been just minutely obsessing over. You know, every you know every single cut. You know where you've made your alts. You know where you've done your cheats. You know where sort of all your little bones are buried. And then the mixer comes in, and first of all, you see if they notice any of those things, and if they jump out to them, and then you can try and fix them. They take the backgrounds, all the sort of the air, and they make that air even better. They take out the, they EQ the air. They you know they make it probably less annoying than what I've been listening to. Um, they have really they have much <clears throat> finer, or they also have the time to. The premix is when you take the time to really finesse the overall sound of the track versus the minutia, which is when editing is where you take care of all the, the nitty-gritty stuff that you don't want to take time on the mix stage for. And if you're lucky, you can mix it against the effects ambiences so you know how far you have to take things. So, for instance, in Tomorrowland, Tomorrowland, the actual place, what does Tomorrowland sound like? Right. Um, there are definitely issues. It could be if they'd wanted to ADR the whole thing, it could have been pin quiet. But they didn't really want to do that. And they didn't really need to, because because of the choices that they made. So, with the help of the effects ambiences, we knew how far we had to clean up the production mm-hmm. without thinning out the voices too much. I mean, you, you clean it up as much as you can without making someone sound pinched or too thin. So, if right. you take out too much of, of the subs, you, I mean, you have to make sure you don't squash the voice too much. It's all about taking care of the voice and making them sound natural. Sometimes it's harder than you think. Of course. Well, I think, you know, there's so much pressure on budgets. Right. Um, And and especially when you're dealing with a low-budget independent film. I think, you know, unfortunately there's a bit of an expectation. um, Editors are doing more and more and more of it. More and more of those mixing functions are are being pushed back into editorial. And certainly I've I've had conversations with producers. They're, They're... Especially on low-budget independent films, their expectation is that the dialogue is going to show up on this on the mixing stage, and right. they can set the faders at zero, and right. you know right. that's that's done. Right. We're going to focus on effects and and, and music. Um, how have you how have you dealt with more of those 
mixing functions being pushed back into editorial. I presume that that's less the case on a on a bigger budget. Right. Film. You know, it's just you sort of change. You change your workflow a little bit. Well, you change it a lot, and you deal more with noise management than 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 sort of alternate takes and taking care of sort of that kind of the nice, precise stuff that I actually really love to do. It's more about noise management and denoising and that kind of stuff. I mean, there's some pretty powerful tools out there which are which are great. Mm-hmm. Software tools to help clean up. Dialogue. Yeah, there's you know there's the Oxford stuff. There's the Cedar. Plugins. There's the uh, the uh, RX stuff. Um, it, but it, it's a different way of using your time. Those things take time, and it's really easy to go too far. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's old school of me. I love working with a mixer on that kind of stuff, just because they're 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 better at it than I am. Maybe mm-hmm. some of the, the newer, younger hotshots are, you know, feel more comfortable with it. If I ever. Um, do any noise reduction stuff, I always keep the original just in case. I've, it's so easy to go too far. So just in case, like, what the heck did you do that? I was like, oh, here's the original. And they can sort of do a prettier version. I always keep my my, my bases covered. It's like, that's stuck. Here's a better one. Or here's, here's let's start again kind of thing. Because um, if you tie yourself into what someone else might think sucks, then you're wasting time. Right. So. Um, any particular uh, challenges or horror stories crop to mind? Oh, there's so many, but I don't want to name names. I don't want to. You can tell stories without naming names. Horror oh, stories. Um, most of them are pretty good, <laughs> to be honest. Most, most of, I've been really lucky. I really have. I've worked with great people. Um, there is one particular, but most of the horror stories come from ADR. <laughs> there's one time. We we did it at the ranch, and the at that time the ADR was done the Foley stage, and there was only one stairway in and out. So there's only one way in and out, and the director and the actor got into a large argument about the the direction of the end of the film, and the actor had one version, and the director had another version. They were standing on the stairs, screaming at each other, and they were crying in tears. And I was stuck in the room. I was like, okay. What do I do? Do I look at the? I started looking at Foley shoes. I couldn't get out of there. <laughs> and the picture editor was was watching through the screen, just laughing because I had. They were just. That, that was a very uncomfortable situation. People um, get high strung in this business. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, there's a lot riding on, and they're very creative people. They're you know. They, there's they, also sort of. I, I feel like in in sound post production, there's it's sort of the moment of truth. You know. Oh, you got to birth the baby. There, there are no, there are no more opportunities for a miracle to happen That's to save right. your film. That's We're, true. So this is this. post. This is, you have to fix it now. <laughs> exactly. Um, any other uh, final thoughts? Um, I hope you never hear my work. I hope it's always invisible. <laughs> How about that? That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Uh, well, Gwen, thank you so much. This was really nice for taking the time I to talk to us today. I didn't have too many lip smacks. <laughs> Michael will clean it all up. Okay, sorry. Uh, this has been the uh, conversations with sound artists uh, talking with Gwen Whittle at Skywalker Sound. This is Glenn Kaiser from the Dolby Institute and the Soundworks Collection. And uh, thanks for uh, listening. <laughs>